I had the pleasure of meeting Rob Hawks in San Francisco. Just well dude. It couldn't have been any more um, agreeable a meeting. <laughs> Ironically, the person that I fell out with was Ben Garney, who's a Flash guy. <laughs> How did you fall out with him? So what happened with me and Ben Garney was that um, not a huge thing. I actually met him at dinner on the Friday night, and he's actually or the Saturday night, and uh, he's he's a perfectly swell guy, and no complaints about him personally but his talk i didn't agree with basically okay and i just walked out of it not out of i wrote on twitter out of disgust but it wasn't really it was more out of boredom oh, i see because it didn't have any content but uh yeah basically his thing was about the place of flash as like you know a diminishing asset to adobe was the kind of term that he used yeah and like well, well you know what you should do as a developer blah 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 it was basically what the flux talk that you gave like what a year and a half ago yeah almost two years ago so but without being entertaining like your talk was <laughs> and also i think the debate has moved on a long way since then mm. so well it's i'm not even i'm the thing is I'm, he's not even wrong yeah it's just boring and you just heard it already yeah exactly and okay. he i mean and he didn't have any statistics to to back anything he set up so right so it's and just with, all kind without of that it's all supposition yeah exactly yeah yeah because at least in What the Flux, you know, you were like, you were asking questions more than anything else, right? Yeah. You were saying What the Flux. You weren't saying, here is the Flux. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I mean, I had a kind of impression of how things were when I started researching it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those things, you know, were, were backed up by the evidence. But sometimes I was surprised by stuff as well. It sure. was kind of annoying, really, because it meant I had to keep rewriting things or go in a different <laughs> direction. <laughs> it meant yeah. that it was actually quite a tough job yeah. because... There's, I mean, there's so little evidence for some of these things as well. Like, if you if you think about something like the Flash games market, it's mm. impossible to say how big it is. Yeah, it is. There really, is really no impossible. set of data. It's not like Xbox 360 sales where you can just add up all of the sales from all of the shops and that gives you the answer, right? Yeah, totally. It's like each each Flash game uses its own business model, has its own. A lot of them have their own websites. There's no one place where you know you can go for this for any data really. So. Yeah. And, and all the companies involved are quite secretive about their data as well, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So should we start it off properly, like professional yeah. podcasters? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's your turn to introduce. Welcome. Welcome to episode 22 of the Creative Coding Podcast with me, Seb Lee Delisle. Me, Ian Lobb. That was better than last week, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Ian, you've been busy. I have. I'm for one for for one week only. I've been the person off at a conference while you stay here. So uh, I like it. So it was the Flash Game Summit. It's in the Flash Game Summit in San Francisco, San Francisco. which kind of tags on to GDC. It's just the day before GDC. Um, so was it just one day? It's just one day. Yeah. And were you at GDC as well? Um, I was kind of at the GDC. I didn't have a ticket to GDC. I was at the GDC kind of whatever throng, if that yeah. makes sense. Like I hung around in San Francisco for a couple of days after. Um, I couldn't unfortunately get a ticket to the Indie Game Summit because they limit the number of tickets and it's sold out. Uh. But um, I did manage to see uh, lots of San Francisco, um, arranged like meetups with lots of people. I made it to a couple of the parties and things like that. So I got kind of a fair chunk of the experience. Very cool. And did you, was it your first time in San yeah, Francisco? Yeah, absolutely, it was, yeah. I loved it. I really, It's really nice out there. Yeah, cool. It's a bit more um, urbanised than I was expecting. Right. 
like the kind of San Francisco of in my mind was I actually found in the end when I went and did like a bike ride around the whole city but it's the one with the, like the wooden houses and the hills and stuff yes like the, uh, the not cable cars yeah exactly not so much thinking about like this huge urban centre in the middle with like you know loads of shops and bums and <laughs> yeah. skyscrapers and like yeah that kind of stuff so sure and and you managed to snag a few interviews at, at the Game of Summit Gaming yeah. Summit? Is it Games Summit or Gaming, gaming. Summit? Gaming, although Flash that seems... Gaming Summit. Mm. A summit of gaming? Yeah. Should we go straight <laughs> into the interviews? Yeah, sure, why not? Or do you want? Is there anything you want to say to in- introduce them? Um, not really. It was great okay. to meet everyone out there. It was really awesome. Like, everyone was really, really nice and uh, yeah. had lots of interesting opinions and stories and who, who to tell. who did you talk to? Oh, too many people to list. They're all, name, they're all name-checked in the actual... In the recording, so okay. Well, let's let's have a listen then. Okay, um, this is Ian. I'm here at the Flash Gaming Summit in San Francisco. I'm joined by Dan Stradwick, who is the creator of Monsters Den, a very very popular um, Flash game. Uh, it's a kind of well. Why don't you tell us about uh, Monsters Den? <laughs> All right, it's a um, procedurally generated, uh, highly replayable kind of dungeon crawl with tactical battles and lots of loot. Yeah, and the thing to know about it is. If you're picturing something like World of Warcraft, it's it's very much a menus-based thing, right? Yeah, it's much more lo-fi than that, yeah. Yeah, and it was... I remember it because it was really popular on, I think, uh, dig.com? Yeah, yeah, the it, first game did do very well on dig, yeah. Yeah, it just exploded one day, and people were loving it. Um, so, why don't you tell me like what you're working on now? Well, funny enough, I'm working on another Monster Stand now. <laughs> So this is the third one. It's called Monsters Inc. Chronicles. It's a it's a big leap up in art and it's uh, more sophisticated in a lot of ways, but also more accessible. So I'm hoping this one will be uh, you know, an even bigger hit. And it's uh, coming out sometime in the next couple of weeks. So I'm very excited to finally release it. Cool. And do you do the code? Yeah. Yeah. And you're so you're the programmer, stroke kind of game designer, I guess. That's right, yeah. right. And you and you get other people to do the art. Yeah. And is it a flash? It's, well, it's obviously it's yeah, a flash, flash thing. Yeah. And you, you write the code in AS3? AS3, yeah, it's flash developer. Cool. And so how did you get into kind of programming and game development? Uh, well, since I was a kid, I was always interested in programming. I used to do basic and like on the BBC Micro and <laughs> right. all that stuff. And then so I, you grew up in Australia? Uh, I live in Australia. I'm right. from New Zealand. Oh, okay. That's um, an important distinction. <laughs> okay. And so you guys had the BBC basic, you had yeah. the BBC Micro out there? Yeah. Do you actually have the BBC Micro computer? Yeah. Oh, well, no way. I thought that was just a UK thing. Uh, Did you have the, the programs that went with it on TV and stuff as well? Like, uh, no, I don't think uh, okay. so. Yeah, so um, then I grew up and I went to, I went to university. I did a Bachelor of Science, of Science. And then, um, yeah, well, I, I got into Flash gaming because my younger brother is also involved in the industry and he, he found some really success with it and that's what sort of put it on my radar or something. Right. He might be able to make some money. And now you've usurped him. <laughs> he does all right. He does all right. But, but yeah, come on. Sure. He's not here. You, <laughs> I mean, you can't underestimate. You, you've had one... Vince, once as then is one of the biggest hits of Flash gaming. Was, was that fair of all time? Was that fair to say? I don't know. That's how, a call. Like, how many million plays are we talking? Uh, this, the most, I don't have good stats for the first game. The second one is at about 22 like. Okay. Okay, so... It's a reasonable 22 idea. million plays, it's a lot of plays. And would you suspect that the first one was even more popular than that? Or? No, I'd say it's probably less. Okay, okay, cool. And have you ever thought about doing any games that aren't mon- Monsters Den based? 
the only thing that keeps me yeah. sane. <laughs> so yeah, I plan to do some smaller stuff I guess you're in a, you have a difficult kind of, it's going to be hard for you to make, now that you've done three Monster Den games, it's going to be hard to make one that isn't Monster yeah, Den, right? Yeah, I'm a little bit pigeonholed, I guess. And it's hard to, when I know I can do that and it will be a success, even yeah. if it will be a long time yeah. and a lot of effort, it's hard to you know, do something else instead, yeah. take that risk. And where do your kind of ideas come from? Like, what was the inspiration for Monster Den? <laughs> okay, well, the inspiration for Monster is actually another game that was very similar. It was a <laughs> <laughs> it's a great strategy. Yeah. It was a shareware game called uh, Fast Crawl. Right. And it had the randomly generated dungeons and stuff. And I, I mixed things up, but um, I did more RPG elements with, with the characters gaining new skills and things yep. that weren't in and change the focus a bit. But yeah, that was largely... I played that and I thought, I, could, I want to make a game like this, but I know exactly what I'll change. So yeah, like, yeah. And, that's, and you're still changing stuff in now yeah. in, the, in the sequels, right? Yeah. Because it evolves more and more further away from the yeah, and so the code base now is what kind of state is it in? Uh, the new one is completely rewritten from the ground. Right, right. That's, That's part of why. It's were, were they always Action Script three, or did you start off? Yeah, well, well, the first game, um, I it was my intro to Action Script three. I didn't, I never used Action Script before, and I learned it as I went programming the first game. I right. did it in three months. Yeah, so the code from those days is. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I can't. I mean. I can laugh about it now, but I hate to look at my old code. Like, yeah. I imagine that it was written by a different person, to be honest. <laughs> That's the N only idiot. way I deal with it. An idiot, yeah. I'm like, oh, bless you, Ian. Bless you, Ian, <laughs> five years ago, you absolute idiots. So naive. Are we talking thousands of lines of code, I'd imagine? Mm, tens of thousands. Yeah. Tens of thousands of lines of code, yeah. I mean, and when you get up to those big numbers, are you using like source control and all those kinds of things, or I'm actually not really bad at the moment. I just use Dropbox. Oh, Dropbox. Well, Dropbox, Dropbox, Dropbox is okay. Sold. At least that's backed up, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you can you can I use Dropbox as well for a lot of stuff, and you can go back a version. Yeah, you can go like that. A, a few versions. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so that's that's good. Um, and in terms of your your kind of developer setup, do you what um, what IDE are you using? Flash develop. Flash develop. Yeah, I mean that's my favorite as well. Yeah, I have CS 5.5 that I use. Um, I compile things to SWC for assets yeah. and stuff. But yeah, yeah, that seems to be the kind of a workflow that's evolved recently is to use Swix for all your assets and then, yeah. Cool. Well, it's been great to chat to you. Um, is there anything else you want to say or not? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, Thanks for having me. How are you enjoying the conference? It's good. This is actually my uh, fourth FGS of everyone. So oh no way! Cool. Yeah, so it's good. Yeah, it's great to be amongst like-minded like exactly, people. Yeah. Feel like Seb, Seb wouldn't like it here. <laughs> Too much positivity about Flash. Okay, great. Thanks for talking to us. <laughs> Cheers. Cool. So I'm still here at the Flash Gaming Summit. I'm joined by Chris Condon, um, a.k.a. Con Artist, who is an excellent um, artist for games. Is that how you would describe yourself or not? Uh, I mean, I'm a developer overall, but yeah, I do art as well for other people. All oh, right. Oh, you do, you actually do write code as well? Yes. Yeah. I'm a full developer, so I've been making you know full games on my own for quite Okay. A while. And what? What? What games? <laughs> what games would you, would I know you uh, from? The Last Stand and uh, Warfare 1917 and 1944, uh, and a few other smaller ones that aren't as aren't quite as big, but yeah, they're my two sort of big hit series. Yeah. And and the other games you've worked on? Uh, Crusted Castle, uh, Juggerdome, Sinmark. Uh, oh, 
God, and now The Last Stand Dead Zone, which is a new uh, Facebook game that we're working cool. on. So. And I'm also joined by Joey Betts um, from Armour Games, who was the developer of Crush the Castle. And which other games did you, have you worked on? I worked on uh, Sushi Cat, uh, Demolition City, uh, Phage Wars, um, and like 20, 25 others. The, <laughs> the great thing about Flash game developers is that we can just keep listing games for hours on end. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you're like a AAA developer, you yeah. just have to go. Oh well, I've I just worked on James yeah. Bond for the last five, five years. years. Yeah. yeah. I've been working on Diablo three for the last ten years. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Cool. So now we might as well, because I've got you both here, talk a bit about Crush the Castle. Um, kind of uh, quite an early box 2D based. Not not no? box 2D. Not box actually, 2D. Yeah. What did it use? I used uh, Glaze Engine. Uh, okay. by uh, Richard Jusen and he's not updating it as much as I'd like him I think I remember Glaze was that based on Chipmunk yes actually yeah yes. that was a great engine yeah. and I looked at Box City and I looked at a few others but Glaze was just really fast and I like that so yeah. that's the one I chose yeah it was a great engine I was a huge fan of it and then yeah. something happened where I tried to run it once and with a, it just didn't work well it's like he's like he's kind of like, like slowed down development on it and I kind of I, I've, I've had to like look elsewhere. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I've moved over to Nape. I don't know about yeah, you. Yeah, I did the same thing. Crush Castle 3 right now is in production. Great. Nape. That's I'm, cool. I'm I love Nape. I'm with the developer of Nate a lot, Nape a lot, and trying to get some uh, cool features or whatever. Like, oh, that's little, like, cool. Little tweaks. I'm like, hey, it, would it be cool if I could do this? And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Because it gives it to me next day. So I'm just like, clever <laughs> no way. By that. Yeah. He's really uh, awesome. awesome on it. Yeah, and Nape is a hack space project, yes. right? Yes, yes. So yeah. that's cool. But it has no problem integrating with ActionScript no, at all, does it? It works really yeah. well. So now, would it be fair to say that uh, Crush the Castle was the inspiration for Angry Birds? It's been listed on their Wikipedia page, but I have yeah, not nice. heard any official, <laughs> official statement. Because, I mean, to, if, to describe Crush the Castle, if you haven't played it, you have a catapult, you pull it back, and you fire it at yeah. a castle. Now, the castle is not so much a castle as a stack of items yeah. with with some creatures in it <laughs> they're people in crush the castle but yeah. you know s s change the people for pigs yeah. the castle parts <laughs> for boxes and you have basically angry birds yeah o almost yeah I mean, I give them credit. They did a good job. Yeah. They put a lot of humor they in it. They definitely improved it in a lot of ways yes. as well. They just yeah. in terms of making it fun and, you know, kind of making it simpler for people to play. Yeah. I think yeah. we did we did some things wrong with our implementation in terms of this kind of the control complexity compared to theirs is, is you know, way far apart. See, so. what's interesting, though, is that it's, it's become iterative. Like, like when we came out, it was, it was pretty... It was pretty epic. I mean, like yeah. we had, I hadn't seen anything like yeah. that, and I was kind of yeah. proud of it. Yeah. But I mean, to go from that and then to iterate on it and bring it to a slingshot, Definitely. and then yeah. hopefully with the next iteration, we'll we'll get a little better. Oh, are you are you doing any more of these types of games or not? Do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm working on Crush Castle three right now, and some of the control schemes may have changed. And, right. Yeah. One of, one of the things that they did with Angry Birds is they've created these like lovable characters with it, yes. which I guess Crush the Castle doesn't have no, no no I don't really like the prince or the queen or anybody <laughs> <laughs> but I mean like that's stuff that's like easily changeable you just give like you just give it like a little character to any of the people that are inside your castle or whatever and so that's kind of something that we keep looking yeah, forward to sure yeah I mean that's what um, who are the guys that do Tiny Tower uh, I can't remember Nibblebit see Tiny Tower that's got like these lovable little characters yeah, as well yeah. and I think it's particularly on mobile it seems to be yeah. important to have yeah. like a mascot almost yeah. or yeah. like I think Andy Moore did a talk here a couple of years ago and it, his main drive for that was 
anything you put in your game, put a little face on it, and it, tu- it just completely tu- it characterizes that thing. And with Angry Birds, they took the ammo that we were using, like boulders and stuff, stuck a face on it and a beak <laughs> yep. and some wings, yep. and all of a sudden it's characters all of a sudden. It's, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Cool. So um, what have you guys got in the pipeline? Uh, I'm doing The Last Stand Dead Zone, which is a uh, kind of an action RTS uh, RPG version of The Last Stand on Facebook. Um, it's a persistent kind of world, um, and we're using full stage 3D uh, for that. So it's in it's isometric, but so it's kind of like a Fallout meets The Sims meets a bunch of other things. But yeah, so that's. And it's, do you write code? You write code for it? I I'm not on this one because I'm an okay programmer, but I'm not a very good one not to do something of this scale right. anyway um, so I, yeah, I have a full time uh, programmer who's doing that stuff for me cool. and uh, what about you what are you working on I, yeah I, I mentioned it it was Kershaw Castle 3 I'm oh, doing a lot sure. of it yeah okay cool yeah. and so kind of, how did you guys get started in the industry like how did you get into programming and flash games and uh, I went to I went to college actually for for college for game development and then I uh, I did a game competition and I our team ended up winning it, and it was really great. And I ended up talking with one of the judges, and he was like, "Hey, I'm looking for a position to fill. You mind filling it?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And then to get into Flash, it was like his company did a lot of Flash, and I had no idea what Flash was. I knew what Flash was, I just had no idea what it was to develop a game on it. And I ended up spending a little time learning it, and from that point on, I got hired for Armor, and that was it. <laughs> And Elmer are based out here in San Francisco? No, they're based in uh, Irvine, down in Southern California. Right, yeah. okay. We just fly up here for the FGS. Mm. Yeah. And uh, what about you? How did you kind of get your start? Uh, I actually worked in advertising. Uh, I was a producer and was making advert games for about uh, five years. Um, and working as a producer, I had previous games experience, and so I was basically just overseeing and being a, being a project manager kind of thing. Uh, and I was doing a little bit of the, um, the interface work and artwork for it because I could have understood games and then uh, I, I had used Flash but I was using it to make banner ads and like websites and stuff like that. Uh, then I kind of hit a point in about 2007 where I said I'm going to learn how to use this and actually make something with it and so I made The Last Stand uh, and submitted it to an Armour Games contest and uh, it won that competition which gave me this whole stack of money that I then thought, hey, maybe I can do this full time. And so uh, Dan, who runs Armour Games, was in my ear for like a year saying, hey, you know, you can do this, like you just jump ship. So I I jumped out of a, you know, seven year career in advertising as a, you know, in a lead role to go and work in my bedroom for um, four years. So it's, yeah. It, that With was without pants. There were pants every day. There were pants every day. You have to have these boundaries. How am I supposed to believe you, that? You have to. <laughs> you believe what you want, but there were pants. And an overall good decision? Oh, definitely, yeah. It's, it changed my entire life like, in terms of where it was kind of heading. I mean, advertising, it just it, it eats your soul. And being able to get out and make stuff for yourself yeah. and not have someone who doesn't understand yeah. games critiquing it and yeah. trying to drive features into it it's, sure. yeah it's completely yeah. A, a common a common theme on the creative coding podcast yeah, is yeah. what did you used to do banner yeah. ads yeah why, yeah. why did you stop doing yeah. banner ads? I ha- I hated my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. But it, it, banner I mean, ads it, it gave a lot of people their start in Flash, and it yeah. it kind of got you 
to push flash quite a lot exactly in a lot of ways. I, think, I think having a web like a professional web background and working with flash is one of the greatest things that I could possibly have because it it does make you understand the boundaries and it makes you understand just little things like how like file sizes and like being able to how you can compress things gracefully and that sort of thing to make it work within the, the confines of the platform I mean Flash is expanding more and more now, and it's 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 becoming easier to do bigger things because bandwidth's better, and you know people's connection connectivity speeds are better. Like unlike back in two thousand and one when I yeah. started, but um, it's yeah, it, it's having that knowledge and that understanding just makes better games. I think. Cool. And last question: What do you guys think of HTML five? <laughs> I actually just didn't go to the session, on, yeah. so I wanted to sit in on the music session. Yeah, I'm sure, um, <laughs> I'm sure that the Canvas and the WebGL, all that's really great. I just can't, I just can't get back to JavaScript because it's like yeah. going back to AS2, yeah. and it's I, I it's think, really tough for me. I, I can't. I think I can't the big divide is the fact that there's not a tool set to do yeah. the animation at the moment. And I think as soon as they develop a consistent tool set that is going to work, that's when it'll really kick off for them. But I mean, you look at the like what they're doing, what Adobe's doing with Stage 3D now. It's it's well, it's hard to. Adobe said themselves today. They said like even if it's not on the Swift platform, it's yeah. kind of hinting that if it does go to HTML5, that it will still try and support within the Flash IDE. Yeah, right. You know, and then you yeah. would just export to you would just export uh, to a different uh, platform at that point. Sorry, a, a mobile restaurant is just so <laughs> to set up next to us. So I think we have to wrap this up. But thank you so much, um, Joey and Chris, for talking to us. And cheers. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, so this is Ian. I'm still at the Flash Gaming Summit. Um, this time I'm joined by friend of the Creative Coding Podcast, Ryan Henson Creighton. Oh yeah. And also by Raymond Raymond, so, Cook. <laughs> Raymond Cook, who's a Flash developer at Kabam. Kabam. Okay. Cool. So I feel, bad about, I feel like we're cheating. We're cheating on Seb over here. <laughs> Is he gonna get mad? No, he's he goes off and, and gets interviews oh, with all kinds of people, really? and I'm not around. Yeah, uh, absolutely. See, I see. So this is like this is sweet revenge. <laughs> I guess it for all is philander. Is well, that the word? I don't no, know. I mean I get I get like one freebie, and that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. for me. That's Ryan Henson Crayon. Yeah. it's an open relationship. Yeah, no, it's like you know, like you get a, you get a freebie, right? Like a celebrity. Right. For me, that's, this is your that's Ryan Henson Crayon. Yeah, right. for me. Somebody's freebie. Oh uh, no, this is going a bad way, right? Let's get it back on track. Creative <laughs> so coding tawdry. podcast, right? Um, <laughs> I saw your session earlier. It, it, I really enjoyed it. It was great. Thank you. Um, we had the we've had the story of uh, the coins on on the show before, but um, you kind of you talked about uh, your game Ponycorns. Right. Um, do you want <laughs> yes, to sum up and... that experience in say thirty seconds? The experience was uh, uh, wonderful. It was silly. It involved farting because we both ate too much cream cheese, and I had to send her to the farting corner, which I didn't want anyone to know about. And then we did a radio interview, and that was the first thing out of her mouth. Um, it was uh, it was just it was just wonderful because I don't get to spend a lot of time with her uh, because I'm an entrepreneur, and I spend you know inordinate amounts of time building my business. Evenings, weekends, and Saturdays are supposed to be family day, and here I am you know, not spending it with her and this game jam was coming up and here's another weekend I'm going to have to spend away from my family. So that's really what motivated it. So it was pure and gorgeous and good and then when we started merchandising it, it was it was evil and base and not really. I, I feel good about the merch but we got a little bit uh, yeah. attacked by you lost You lost money on the merchandise. Oh, we lost tons of money on the merch but I think, I think 
one person. And overall, you lost money on on the game as a whole. On yeah, six, like uh, the whole thing would be about a six thousand dollar loss, which I'm fine. Uh, you know, we can make more money at it later. But I mean, it's been so wonderful for us. And the merch, the way somebody put it to me is, merch is a way to show love to your fans. If somebody really enjoys sure. your product, that's that's a service you can do for them. It's, Absolutely. You know, and you're not holding a gun to anybody's head saying, buy this T-shirt because I'm creepy. You know, so I I, I think it's. Cool. And then, so tell us about Spellerium and Spilerium, how Spellerium, yeah. Spellerium is so exciting. It's, uh, it's, it's a passion project for me. Uh, probably be another money sink, but it's... it's uh, <laughs> that's, I hope not. No, I think, I think it's going to be good. You think so? Yeah, that's I'm really optimistic. exciting. So it's an it's a old-school graphic adventure game like uh, the LucasArts or Sierra ones. Probably closer to LucasArts because I find they were a bit better. Um, and you, you, know, you walk around locations, talk to characters, but the really neat hook is that we have a word puzzle interface. So whenever you solve a problem, it brings up sort of like a boggle grid, and you can spell words with it. But then we leverage that against other puzzles that are really interesting. Like, if you're shearing a sheep, you gotta spell words like clip, trim, chop, cut. If you are, then you gotta dye the wool that you get from the sheep after you blow it off using those words. And uh, it, the color of the word matters. So if you spell using red tiles exclusively, it dyes the wool red. And then in the next challenge, when you're spinning the, the wool into yarn, if you make a word across, and then a word down, and then back, and then up, it takes the direction and starts turning the wheel. So there's a unique, interesting way right, to right. solve the puzzle So you've time. got, even in the structure of the word puzzles, links yeah, to the exactly, structure of the game puzzle. Yeah, the way we looked at it, just from a nerdy developer perspective, is in this, in this word puzzle game, we have certain outputs that the player uh, informs. So we know whenever the player swaps two tiles, we know when they've highlighted a tile, we know when they've made a word, we know the direction of the word, we know the length of the word, we know what the word is, what it's, which letters it's comprised of. So we know a bunch of these outputs from the grid, and we just use those outputs in neat ways to come up with new puzzles. So when you're fighting a monster with four arms, and each one's a different color, you spell the gr a green word to, to knock its green arm off, you spell a red word to knock its red arm off, and so on. Um, there's another neat one where there's a maze, an overhead maze, and as you spell words, if you spell like a five-letter word from left to right, it moves the character through the maze five spaces. Like right. it does these really neat wow. things, right? Okay. Uh, Don't I, give away too many I'll, puzzles. I'll try not to. I'll try not to. <laughs> but uh, it's it's really unique and really special. And communicating that has been a challenge for cool. me. Cool. But and I'm not going to put you under any pressure. But do you know when you might be able to play Spellerium? I have said uh, I'm targeting a 2012 release. Uh, I'm really going to try to stick to that, but you will be able to play the demo likely sooner than the end of the year for sure, because okay. we'd like to get uh, you know feedback on, on yeah. the prologue. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's go over to um, Raymond. So what are you working on at the moment? Um, I'm actually uh, a Flash developer for Kabam, uh, but on the side I've uh, been doing a lot of indie product projects. Uh -huh. Um, really gotten into the industry, starting with some isometric stuff. Um, but I've been talking with Ryan here. And I'm really interested in the educational aspect of games, and right. it's something I'd really like to look into. Okay, cool. Um, why? <laughs> Tell me why, why. Who cares? Who cares? What well, apparently a lot of people. I've, I've seen a lot of yeah. people come up to you and just tell them what an inspiration you've been. Um, I also have a daughter, and I have another child on the way, and uh, as a game developer, you do a lot of long hours, as I'm sure any one of you could tell. Um, so I just... Educational uh, games are lousy. They all, they all they suck. They look like garbage. You know, who's buying? You know, we had the whole 
CD-ROM collapse. Why? Why would yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, that, when I went to university, I, I went. I did like a degree in like multimedia, basically, which was to get to go and make CD-ROMs. And then by the time I graduated, they were done. Yeah. We had no CD-ROMs. Then into DVD-ROMs, and then into all the rest. And that'll never hand out. Either. <laughs> a wild kabam employee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Random encounter. Okay, so here we've got uh, Clive Henrik. Development director of Kabam. It's a good job everyone's wearing name tags, isn't it? I sound very knowledgeable. <laughs> you know everybody. Cool. So, what, what do you want to talk about? What Kabam does? Uh, we're the second largest social media company. We make games. You're the second largest. You're not the second largest second social. Largest. <laughs> There's Wikipedia, <laughs> and then no, you. No, uh, <laughs> no actually, make, we make games in the game space. Right. So we're behind Zynga, and uh, the games we make tend to be more uh, for gamers. They tend to be core games. What, ga what, ga would, what games would people know that you guys uh, have made? We, I'm the dev director for Godfather. Five never heard of it. Never heard of it. Kingdom, uh, <laughs> Kings of Camelot. No, have no idea. No, never no idea. What's Dragons of Atlantis. I'm so kidding. Edge World. No. Um, we make a lot of flash games. Cool. How much of it is licensed? Very little of it. Yeah, it sounds like Godfather was the only one you mentioned that yeah. was. It, hey, no, like in England, we own the license to the word Camelot. Um, oh, we've yeah, owned right. that since uh, eight, uh, I, I going, <laughs> the year, had, the year 400. I, I was there and I had to prick a little bit, a bit of blood on those holy stones yeah. and then we had to dance um, around naked. A dragon will come and set you aflame if you ever break the contract. That's right. Dragons come from England too. If you know. Cool. So, um, wh why don't you talk about kind of how you got your start in the industry mm -hmm. and how you've seen it change maybe? Um, I did the same thing. I started with uh, MFA and multimedia, and then went to CD-ROMs, to DVD-ROMs, to DVD video, DVD video games, to AT-DVD, to Blu-ray, with BDJ. Hold up, hold up. Did you make Sillywood games? Uh, I made also. <laughs> I made all these games, and then we um, eventually moved back to the web space when AS3 came out, because I hated writing AS2 because there's no typing and uh, reading other people's code was just a nightmare. When AS3 yeah. came out, I went, my god, a real language again. Yeah. And Unfortunately, it didn't make all Flash developers suddenly become good at writing code. No, but it allowed <laughs> the good ones to come back again and beat people with like a baseball bat. So they started writing better code. Was and the code now is much, much better. Yeah, I mean, the culture in, with Flash developers in London just changed beyond recognition yes. with AS3. It went from being this fun thing uh, with people who were terrible coders making interesting work to these Java guys that coming in and that whole culture infiltrating where we had these good coders making boring work yes. essentially. It left a lot of people in the dust I found. Yeah, and yeah. I still know people who never made the transition to AS3 because it was too difficult. I but think the thing it's is, too hard. For me. I, 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 I see, I disagree. I think really? that that's the psychological thing of a lot of people weren't who were like say designer stroke, you wouldn't even call yourself a developer, you were just like a flash user back then, yes. right? Right, right? Designer stroke flash user. They couldn't make the mental leap, to the psychological leap, to think of themselves as programmers or developers, mm. and, and they just wouldn't do it. And I know like a lot of guys that I used to work with who were like flash animators and stuff, yeah. who just wouldn't, even though I've seen them write code, because they, they would write loads of code in AS2. They just refused to learn it. They look just... how difficult it is, though. If you want something clickable in AS2, you say, my thing dot on mouse up, right? right. If you want to do it in AS3, you have to add a listener, you have yeah. to catch the But the thing is, what you have to do is you have to... Yeah, right. but what you have to do is you have to learn to program. Yeah, that's, you have to... that's a big scary jump for a lot of people. Yeah, I know, but it, it shouldn't be. It actually, like, I, I agree, it shouldn't be. I, I, I teach people to program, you've taught people right. to program, right? You also learned what happened, though, was the amount of money as a flash developer you made uh, doubled. What? 
in that it, time period. It, it did. No, yeah. I think uh, so. I think my, my salary halved. No, to me it doubled because as someone who um, has like more of a computer science background, oh, all of a sudden see? I was much more in demand. That's it. I don't have a CES background. I'm just a dude. I'm just a really You're lame a dude. High school dude. Diploma. Yeah, there you go. Yes, but as someone who can... Um, I learned huge amounts because I started hiring all those Java people and sitting them next to me. And as I taught them Flash, I learned all this much more structured way of doing larger projects. Sure. I can now work. We, we have three, or f we have two, three Flash devs on our team. And the reality is, we can read everyone's code. It's not a problem. We use AS Docs. We use all these more formalized things. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's just much more. Um, at the end of the day, the whole process. It's much easier for teams to work. I think that's the number one change. Mm. Five years ago, it was you as an individual working on a game. <laughs> yeah, five years boy, later. Has it ever changed? <laughs> but now... No, um, it was funny. It's five years ago. I had to work with other developers. Really? Now, thank heavens, I have my own studio uh, yeah. and I don't have to speak to anyone. I've been yes. flying to, solo for five to, years. To me, I've watched the exact opposite happen. We went from one developer being hired to do a game to working on teams of three to four developers with three or four back-end people. These are the big games, right? The mm -hmm. ones making millions of dollars a month. Mm -hmm. Those games are all just like any other large-scale yeah. sure. process. I feel like we've been left behind I by know, that whole process. millions of dollars a day. Millions of dollars a month, though, I should a say. A month, my mistake. It's amazing, though. And there, there is a bit of a thing in the Flash games world now, like a summit like this, where you've got some people from these megabucks companies yeah. and then other people who are scratching a living literally like... <laughs> I used to do that. I used to have my own company. I had my own company for four years. Yes. And we did the exact same thing. And eventually I had children and I wanted health insurance. Ah. And so I joined one of the big companies. See, I'm from Canada color. where everything's socialized. Yes. The government owns my car, but yes. I do have... I do my family's Australian and I lived free. in Australia for a while and I learned yeah. the exact same thing. Okay, so tell me, which life is better? Um, in Australia, if you're young Sorry, and you're no. raising family, yeah, it's yeah. better. But here, then if what? your families are, um, say, over 10, your kids are over 10, yeah. economically speaking, you're much better off here. I'm talking about the professional life, though. So between scraping a living by yourself, but you own everything, including your successes, your failures, versus working for the man and owning nothing and being funded, um, I assume. I like working with other developers. So for oh, me, okay. personally, yeah. I'd rather be on large teams. I learn more. Oh, interesting. And at being at Kabam, I'm around C Sharp, C, Java, Ruby. I'm learning Ruby right now, and being around all those people on a daily basis, I feel like as a developer, I just go, I'm a much better developer. So you need other people to stimulate you. Is that a way um, we can put it without getting censored? Yes, Are we still within the explicit yeah, I think warning so. on iTunes? <laughs> okay. I think so. But, but the, oh. more, the more you're, um, especially 3D artists, Right? How often are you going to really get a chance to work on stage 3D? There's no chance. Right, but on a larger company, I'm around that every single day. Even though it might not be my team, another team might be doing it, I just osmose and I learn all that. And you have to be in a larger company to do that. Yeah, so I, tell you, I tell you one thing that's nice, and it sounds like you guys probably have it, is to have a, a company with a developer culture where that's taken seriously yes. rather Absolutely. than Absolutely. studios like maybe in advertising like where me and Ryan have worked where they basically see you as a kind of some kind resource. of cog a resource to be yes. to be drained of all your <laughs> desire your to live to yes. 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 thank you that's one reason why I love Los Angeles because um, <laughs> uh, if you work for um, the big media companies there you they don't see technology as an ends to a means it's just how to get Spongebob on the stage 
They don't care. And so you really are treated, you are just drained of life essence. That's yeah. LA. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's, you know what? I think that's licensed kids' properties. Property. Thank you. Just in general, right? They, yes. I mean, they treat what, there's, there's a, a failure to recognize games as a cultural artifact, and they just see them, and I think somebody cleared it up for me, I wish I could give credit to who said this, but they treat you like you're a website developer. You don't give credit to a website developer, you don't see a website as a cultural product, it's just like a dumb technological marketing required expense. I agree, and one of the, the, one of the reasons that I kind of started my own thing, <laughs> Uh, was because I never had a credit on any of my games. Oh yeah, yes. My name is nowhere on these games that were, I put my heart and soul into oh, yeah. these things. I've written an article years. on this. You could have spent two years on that game and you're still not credited anywhere. The now, producer what, is, but you're not. But what's weird about that is that it is, it's t I mean, I work a lot with TV people. On a TV show, if you're the guy who holds the thing for the key grip, who's the guy who holds things, you get a credit in the end, you know, at the yeah. end of the show. Yeah. But if you're the guy who makes That's the they have a union. game for two months... That's because they have a union, though. No. We have is no union. Yeah, I think oh, so. I see. You also, you also union. can't plug in a lamp, I think. Right, Unless right. you're, <laughs> unless unless you're, you're a union electrician. Yeah. It's funny, I came from that culture. I was at CalArts in Los Angeles for my graduate degree. Yeah, yeah. So I worked on Hollywood stuff all the time and films and it's, yeah. No, I'm sorry, you can't unplug that light. It's burning, there's flames coming out of it. You're not allowed to unplug that light. But it's literally catching the wall on fire. No, 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 you're not allowed to do that. Man. Yeah, it was very funny. Again, like there are drawbacks and, and advantages to every single thing, right? Absolutely. Uh, well, what have we learned today, Ian? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, one thing I've learned is that big, good, ambitious games that are good and you pour your heart into them, they take time. Yes. And it can be two years of your life off and on, and that's, maybe that's no bad thing. Okay? Maybe we can't expect to get every game out of the door within three months of having the idea. You know? Like, that's the biggest fallacy, right? And I, I try to correct part of my job as a dev director is. Um, I'm there to help producers and non-technical people see how hard it is to really make these things mm. and make them successful. And one of the things I love about live op games is um, we release the game and then we work harder. Right. Release okay. is day one, right? Release is yeah. day one. We Constant iteration. Game. Yeah, we are watching metrics every single day. We are changing the game. Going, how can we make more money from uh, this? Absolutely. <laughs> but also, where are people dropping off? What step of the first user experience are people not going on? How can we change it? How can we change the graphics? What are the, what's the UI? Oh, they're not clicking on these buttons. How can Let's we drink the blood it. of Christian babies? Yeah. How can we sap more blood? Uh, how can we how can we drag the reputation of games through the dirt and even more? I'll tell you what. Would you rather? We're, we're me and Ryan are pitching for jobs at Kabam right now. Uh, but would you rather? I'll tell you this. You're a player. Would you I know. Rather, would you girls rather have said it, but would you rather play a game and spend fifty dollars on a console game, which you have no idea if you're going to like up front, or would you rather play the game for free and then spend fifty dollars yeah, for six months? Yeah, I download the demo on the Xbox. But that's fine. But would you? Which do you like better as a player? I think the market has said like very strong wood that being for free and then putting money into it is a much better business model for most people. The fear, the fear for me is that, I mean, if I if I pay. For in Canada, it's more like 60 bucks. But I pay 60 bucks for a game, and I have that experience. That's one thing. If I have a microtransactions-based game, they don't want 60 bucks from me. They want as much money as they can possibly squeeze. Until so I can't cap it. Well, I mean... The point about it is most Xbox, or I play PS3, Xbox, sure. I play non-games, right? 
40 to $50 is the cost of the game. I expected to get 8 to 16 hours worth of playable time for those games. That's what the industry basically generally is. So if you do it per hour, if you do a free-to-play and you play that over 60 to 70 hours, the odds are you're paying much less per hour than you'd play for a console. Sure. As long as you're entertained sure. and you like if it. You're, if you're really into, say, a, a social game or an MMO, it, it's, a, it's a different kind of thing, isn't right. it? It's a... It's it becomes it's almost like a hobby, yeah, rather than right. just a game you that you would. You put the disc in, you play the game, and then you can't sell it because America doesn't let you sell it. You know, literally. Yeah. You know, I'd rather personally, me as a gamer who's been playing for many many years, I'd rather have the game free and then see if I like it, and then invest time and money into it. Now you took a weird pot shot. I can't sell a Facebook game either, and I can't Facebook sell. Facebook games are very expensive though, because of the Facebook. The advertising for Facebook is very, very expensive. So being a smaller company, you have to go through a third-party distributor in order Sorry, to get your no, games out. No, as a player, you just said that Hollywood, or not Hollywood, but the game industry gives me this disc that I can't resell because they don't want me to. I can't sell either the Facebook game or the things people, that I purchased within the Facebook game. That's, I'm, I'm sure that's it might be done. illegal from Facebook, but people do constantly on eBay sell accounts right. to those games. Right, right. So you can't. <laughs> Uh, the account's not necessarily going to be, and you know, you have this problem of people shutting their games down, and they, you know, players have sunk all this money into them. Uh, like I said to somebody earlier today, I can still drag up my NES, uh, plug a cartridge in, and play Super Mario Brothers three. I still own that equipment. That whole argument is that what's wrong with the cloud, right? Why have Google right. Docs? Because you turn your computer off, and Google can accidentally re erase gigs of data. And this happened with companies too. I, I understand. Yeah. But no, that's, I mean, that's a different conversation. Personally, for example. I prefer to have everything digital. That's just me. Like I like I listen to my music from Spotify rather than buying CDs. And no, I'm with you there. It's weird. For certain things, I'm with you. For other things, not so much. I mean, I was just talking to a company about software as a service and whether I would like to. Oh, okay. Cheers. Bye bye. My six-year-old daughter is telling me it's time to go home. Listen to them. They're very wise. Man. What are we talking about? I don't know. I don't know. About... We're just sabotaging somebody who works for a social games company. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that he's gone, we can relax. <laughs> you're really talking, you're talking different market segments. You know, I don't have anything against games that use microtransactions. I have a feeling, though, that there will be a, a fatigue that develops, and I think it'll happen sooner than later, where people will no longer, they'll sniff this nickel and diming attitude very fast, and they'll just say, please let me pay you 20 bucks and give me the game and don't talk to me ever again. I think people will really want to get back to that. That's true. For certain types of games, right? We've, we've seen that too. Like, um, yeah. look at Triple Town that was uh, just released on the iPhone. Um, they said, uh, okay, well, you can pay us for our currency and you can keep buying more turns or you can just... Uh, pay for unlimited turns, right? Because how many people said, just let me buy the blasted thing? I really, and now, do you yeah. have any insight as to which methods sold more for them or made more money for them? I'm going to see uh, David and, uh, and Daniel at GDC. I'd love to ask them that. I think it's really smart that they offered both. I think that's great. And it's, it, it's great for players. They yeah. Give them more I think it is, a, it is a great model. Yeah. Um, I want to ask them how it works. Well, another, another model you could do is just say you had, like, you could have a microtransactions thing, and then you have a cap of, say, just say 60 bucks. And once you spend 60 bucks, you've unlock, you unlock everything. I love that. You see, because then that's try before you buy. You know, Kabam probably wouldn't like it, or, no, or not to yeah. pick on them or Zynga, because they want whales, and they want to make, you know, 
money out of our... Well, you got to pay my salary. Yeah, I mean, but do you know what? If they, there are these rich guys who can afford to spend 2,000 bucks on a game or whatever. The rich guys are crazy guys. I'm crazy guys, okay, let's call them yeah. crazy. Well, anyone in America is fairly, is in the... In, on a global scale, is counts as a rich guy. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. I, I mm, it's a, I like a model where I like an episodic model. I like the idea of an episodic model. It's not panned out for anyone quite yet, uh, and it's 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 proven so far to be a bad idea. But I like the idea of giving them one experience, and if they liked it. I've got another add-on, you know, I've got a level pack, I've got another map, or I've got another story to tell, which is what I'm really interested in. And I yeah. wish that there were more examples of that succeeding, because yeah. that's what I'd like to do. It yeah. feels genuine, it feels honest. Yeah, well, I mean, what I like about the indie games scene for all of its problems is that there is a kind of an artisan culture, and mm. people, creators are respected for, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Putting themselves out there and, for like... Sure. Get players are respected through like uh, kind of business models that are ethically sourced and but stuff. Those are all insider views, right? The people. Yeah. I mean, well, no, but if you look at um, something like uh, the humble bundle, is a right. it's a crossover thing, right? Where they get. It, I thought it was very niche. But yeah, but it is niche. But yet they they make uh, like over a million dollars from a each one, right? They do make a they make lot a of money. I wonder if they're seeing diminishing returns, though, because I feel I felt with the last one they released, there was the, all this talk of I get fatigue with that model, and people are oh, yeah. bundle. And there are other people who are calling their offerings bundles or they're bundling up yeah. games. Yeah, well, there's like, like yeah, there's so many bundles now; are, it's gone a yeah, bit crazy. Yeah. And I mean, do you do you guys have like these huge lists of games that you've purchased that you haven't played? Is that just I me? think I bought I think I just bought one humble bundle and one other similar kind of deal and I kind of given the games a go right but not you don't but I mean I have no time to play games anyway well, so I, me right? me giving Aquaria say uh, 15 minutes of my time because I bought it in a bundle that's as good as any game gets in my collection <laughs> yeah. to be honest that's as good as Gears of War 2's got um, which was a Christmas present I've got a Steam list like a mile long and it's just stuff I haven't touched. It's like, oh, I should buy this game. I should reward the developer yeah. with my money. I'll never play it. But do you know what? Like, time is too short and life's too short. And, it is. You know. And I'm living every day now. I seriously wake up now every day. I'm feeling old. I'm only 34, but I'm feeling <laughs> ancient. I wake up every day thinking, what am I going to regret on my deathbed? That's seriously how I start every day. So, now, you know, business-wise, I think... I, I know I only have a certain number of original games that I can build in my lifetime. So I'm really being picky and choosy about what those games are going to be. Spelerium is honestly one of them. It's a passion project. I need to make it. I'm compelled to make it. And it's going to happen because I, it's in me and I have to get it out. I think you know artists can really relate to that. A lot of artists have ideas that they, they just, whether it's financially successful or not, they need to express that idea. And that's what that game is for me. But I'm really planning my business around. Uh, I'm not going to be here forever. What can I? What do I have in me that I desperately need to get out? And what am I going to regret on my deathbed having not expressed? Sure, I agree with you 100. <laughs> percent I think um, it's weird to go from kind of sellout culture that I learned <laughs> learned the trade in um, of just making whatever for for whatever client to a more honest culture that so I'm it's entering now. A foot in cello culture like yes, I do. And yeah, I mean, I do as well, and I still do contract work, so right, I have that right. now, like, you know, it is weird. 
Because uh, you're constantly, yeah, you're shifting modes, you're wearing two hats. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're and I, get, I think a lot, of, a lot of developers who are in the more commercial world, they do kind of pet projects and things on the side, but they don't take it seriously enough that this could be their full-time thing. Yeah. And well, I what think it really comes down to is how do you do what you love and release something to the people to make them happy while at the same time affording to live, affording yeah. to feed your family. Yeah. You know, um, I was uh, scraping for months before I got picked up by Kabam, sure. um, just doing, you know, indie stuff and contract work. And, you know, yeah, you get to do what you love and you get to be creative, but it doesn't always put food on the table. Sure. But, um, I hey, we've got, we've ladies got and gentlemen, <laughs> and now entering the podcast, Colin Cup. Hey, so we've got uh, Colin Cup here, who's the uh, the product marketing manager of Mochi Media, That's it. but also the organizer of Flash Game Summit. Is that fair to say? Yep. Oh my God, it's One Colin Cup! Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Let me miss, miss. Oh my God! Let me miss. Back off, please. No! Oh my God! Oh, please, could you just just stay against the wall? Thank you. Also, the random guy wandering across the Robertson so stage. So you're think. on uh, you're on the Creative Coding podcast now. So um, do you want to talk about how the the day's gone? Uh, you know, I think you guys are better judge of that. I've okay. sort of been involved in logistical stuff, but uh, you know, from reading Twitter and uh, live stream info, it seemed like people had a pretty good time. Yeah, Ryan's session was awesome. Oh, sure. Thanks. Thanks. So I think my session went pretty well. I, I was fairly happy with I heard how you guys it went. Both highly attended and uh, yeah. a lot of positive tweets and, and remarks there. It, it's feeling. This is my third one, so it's feeling like. Fam, can I say family? Is that weird? I'm seeing. I'm seeing people that I've seen other years. Okay. And it's, Finally, feeling like oh, I get to see you again. Uh, this is my first time actually meeting Ian. I've been on this podcast. We talk on, we fight on Twitter all the time. So it's it's, it's a thrill to meet him here. So uh, thank you for for, for yeah, just for that. Great. It's a meeting of minds today, me and Ryan. I think um, it's been wonderful. Yeah, uh, and what was I going to say? Oh, there's something about that room we were in as well. That it had windows and light in it. Yeah, it was really nice. nice. It's so very light. It's a really nice. It's such a change from any conference that I've been to. They're always in these dark rooms, and this one was. And a beautiful day in San Francisco. Oh, amazing! Sunny day, so it was. Yeah. Kind of day where you don't want to be speaking. You want to be outside. No, I had, I had a good time. I, I mean, I'm a I'm a troglodyte. I just I sit in my couch all the time. So <laughs> I think the sunlight burns. I think it'll <laughs> scar my flesh. Will that happen? Does that happen with sunlight? Yeah. I don't know. I don't have enough experience. No. About it. no. Um, but I woke up for the first you time. You guys get you'll get sunlight one day. Like well, Canada's is it, always right? a bit behind like, America, so like I you guys have, will catch up eventually. I woke up for the first time on time and I was like, why am I out of bed? Is it the time difference flying over for drunk? It was the sunshine. There was actual sun and I haven't seen sunshine in five months. So I actually got out of bed and I think that was the difference. <laughs> sunshine. <laughs> We don't. Can you export some of that up to us? Is there some sort of shipping embargo on sunshine? I'm or sure the I, government can put a price please, on that. Please, please. Let's, yeah. let's get the free trade agreement involved in sunshine. <laughs> oh my God! I'm reading. We were talking about Game of Thrones, right? We're reading yes. Game of Thrones. I have this theory. If you read Game of Thrones, that the big wall of ice in the thing is is the is the 49th parallel because I think the author's from New Jersey. I might be wrong about that, but the yeah, yeah. Well, I've got the, some theories about this, right? Oh, so Westeros, yeah, yeah. It's North America and it's England and, and it's Great Britain. Weird. This is my this is my personal theory. Right, right, right. Stuck on top of each other, imagining that they're the same place. So, so Scotland, the 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 north of the wall is north of Hadrian's Wall, in oh, in, in which is, is the wall between theory. Scotland and England. But it's also north of 
the American border or, or, or it's the 49th yeah, 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 yeah. you know what I'm going to be seeing the author he's speaking in Toronto when I get oh, no back way. from GDC so I'm going to ask totally yeah. going to ask yeah. he's going to look me up and, but down like, and, like, what? and things like the dire wolf that was a real creature that, I just found that out that was I a real dire wolves are real yeah, yeah. and, and they roam North America like yeah. 100,000 yeah, like years ago dinosaur oh. wolves yeah it's crazy what I know right I know that's nuts I know dire wolves I know, right? Well, I don't know. I yeah. You would chew your couch up And a bit. so it's interesting. I mean, I love, those books are so rich. But I love thinking about where different places would be in the, on the Earth. Do you yeah, know what I mean? It's a, it's a fake world, right? Like, it's, he's deliberately created... It is, but every place, like, there's a place that's like Venice. It, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Influenced by something. Yeah, yeah every place you can it. see the, where the yeah. inspiration comes from in the real world. And that's always nice because then you can go and travel to those places and, <laughs> right? And disappointed that there's not wards. Huh? Uh, no? Or the others. Or others. Yeah. yeah. So, but, I mean, I live in Cornwall, so I can kind of walk around. There are actually others in Cornwall. There are others. Yeah, yeah, there are white walkers. Yeah. Yes. We've got um, go to Cornwall giants. Uh, giants riding mammoths. We've got. Have we set Cornwall uh, tourism board back like a few years now by saying this. No, and it's all good publicity for Cornwall. <laughs> no. So, Ian, what was your favorite part of FGS today? Um, what was your? To be honest, I feel like not wanting to well wanting to blow my own trumpet. I feel like the talk I gave today was the best talk I've ever given. Oh, I feel like. I heard it was brilliant. I, saw I had twenty demos that, and it's it's. I spent about two weeks full time just uh, doing research. And you so didn't even get to them all. You just showed no. Me I had to skip a load out. out. Yeah, because my favorite I, part was definitely me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's as a personal highlight. I feel like I did an okay job. So <laughs> from other stuff, Ryan's session was awesome. Um, this is a this is. Oh, do you, do you know what else? Do you know what else? Right now, no, yeah, meet, uh, uh, meeting Anthony Carboni as well. Oh yeah, he's yeah. such a dude. He's like right, that dude. was an absolute right. pleasure. We got, got interviewed yeah, by him, yeah. and that was. Uh, we got really lucky to get him in here hosting the award show and everything. Did you guys catch the award show at all? Or? Yeah, Can we, we talked about the award show a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's I, talk about it. I know you I heard a disappointed daughter uh, somewhere she, in Canada. She called me after the thing, and she was weeping, Colin, for seven solid minutes. I had to tell a six-year-old girl that she was hated, that she she disappointed daddy, and, and that she'd be hearing about Anthony it when I came. Anthony did make the distinction that when you're in that category, the winner, yes, right? right. So the winner, like, yeah, you won, but you, you just crushed the dreams girl. of a six-year-old girl. And the loser. And the loser, I mean, you lost to a six-year-old girl. But what a six-year-old girl to lose to. I mean, there would be <laughs> honor in that. Yes. I mean, who did we lose to? I didn't even hear. I was off doing something else. You lost to, that was the uh, most creative game category? Yes. I believe that was... Um, what was it was Tell me, I will cut them. Something, I something hat. Pursuit of hat. Pursuit, Pursuit of hat. Of hat. You're, pursuit you're on my list, Pursuit of hat. That's it. Day. I'm coming for you. That's it. We're going to fight. <laughs> It'll be like a back alley. I'm gonna, i got a chain. It'll be like one of those She could arm wrestle them. What's that? She could, your daughter could arm wrestle them. She, you know what? She'd do better in an arm wrestle than I would because I've got noodle arms. I've, there's a, <laughs> I've got a muscle deficiency in my body. It's not a disease. I'm just really lazy uh, and, and weak. I'm a, I'm a weakling, really. I'm a, I'm a <laughs> I'm Strong a, thumbs. I'm a skinny fat guy is the thumbs. problem that I have. Strong thumbs, they're fantastic. In fact, when I go to the beach, people ask me where things are. And it's the only strong part of my body is my finger, my mouse finger. And I say, why? It's over there. And I just give a real good flex, you know, especially between this joint. It's just thick. It's thick. Uh, do you want to come on? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, so we're joined by 
Chris Benjamin Benjaminson. Yeah, Benjaminson. Benjaminson, co-founder of PlayerScale, who uh, listeners might know from uh, the Player IO framework. Yep. Um, I also built a game called Everybody Edits. Oh, you? So you created Everybody Edits? Yeah, that's okay. my property. That's like cool. my pet, one of my pet projects. Yeah, it's a great project. Um, so Player IO. Yes, talk on that subject. Yeah. Playero lets you kind of it's a back end for multi-user games. And yeah, that's one of our, one of the things we do. We actually have a we have six pillars. We do payments. We do Facebook hosting. We do real-time multiplayer. We do uh, CDN hosting and a bunch of other stuff. And it's so you write your code in C sharp if you're going to use your if, platform, if you, right? If you want to use the backend, but a lot of people are actually using our services. Like right. we have a database solution. Right. And if you are a client side developer, you can actually go just built with the client-side SDK. Right. So if, let's say you wanted to have a, a system where you, you wanted to have persistence. Right. You could use uh, our database solution. It works kind of similar to, uh, to a, a shared object in Flash, except right. that it's saved on a server. Right. So you could ha- keep your persistence between one user and another user. Right. You know, and combined with something like a Facebook solution, you have something where you could have persistence on the Facebook application without actually ever touching a server. Yeah. If you don't care about security. Yeah. So your stuff's great for, I guess, front-end guys or game developers yeah. or whoever who wants to do stuff that requires a back-end, yeah, yeah, but well, don't yeah, really yeah, want yeah, to... Yeah. Usually we try to tell people that they can save away the, 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 the back-end developer. Cool. And if you, if, you, if you talk to a company like Ninja Kibi, it's done very well, yeah. they basically said at that talk today, you know, we don't care about security because it's only going to be, especially on Facebook, if you're cheating in a Facebook game, the only people who are ever going to be affected by that is your friends. Right. So you're just being, yeah, you're just being a moron between your friends. Yeah. Right? So there's no necessarily any need to work on, on security at that aspect. There is one one thing though that is that we do provide uh, full security on the payment side of things. Yeah. So if you have you so if you have something that you're buying with microtransactions, yeah. you have a virtual currency that would be completely secure even yeah. from the browser. Yeah. And you, de- you just go to an admin side and configure the items you want to like, cool. sell in the market. So let's talk about Everybody Edits. How yeah. did you kind of get the idea for that? I didn't. The thing about Everybody Edits is it grew out of a demo. Right. I, was, I was playing around with a multiplayer solution, making sure everything works at worst. And at the time, I was, uh, I was playing around with game engines. I was looking at a push-button labs engine, right. I was looking at Flixel, and I, I, there were some specifics with those engines. I, get, I had a dissatisfaction. Uh, around them being uh, connected, not completely frame rate independent, which is very important if you're doing multiplayer. Yeah, you sure. need to make sure that your computer and my computer acts the same. Yeah. Otherwise, you're getting synchronization issues. Absolutely. With the yeah, so yeah. with a very small bleeding engine. Yeah. And uh, build a small platform on that. Yeah. And I, I released it out and sent it to like four or five friends. Right. And uh, the feedback was, you suck at level design. Right. And, and so what I did was, instead of trying to go do a better level design, yeah. I decided to allow people to actually modify the level live. Sure. And then just explode it out of that. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, 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 it went from sending to a two or three, five people, and, and those people playing it to so them, sending to the friends, sending to the friends. I think literally within five minutes of it going live, yeah. that, was, that was like the room was full. There was 45 people in the room, which is the sure. limit on the, on the public cluster on Play.io. So, and you kind of preceded uh, Minecraft? Uh, yes and no, that's not entirely fair right. because Minecraft has been in development since 2005 or something right, like okay. that, right? Okay. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting the guy way back when he was, right, right. before it was a success, so, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a very great game but it's also 
you know, if, if you go look at Minecraft, a lot of people have, oh, oh man, that's the indie guy who just threw it out there and and, and, and it becomes a massive success very, very shortly. That's yeah. not true. Sure. Yeah, it had a lot of iteration. Sure. It started out as a as a simulation game. Sure. Uh, and, yeah. and just... But um, I guess my point is there's a, there's a similarity in that the way uh, players can either create stuff yeah. or act, or be destructive yeah, yeah, and of course, of course, mess up it, other people's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because most of the times I've played everybody edits, it's yeah. mostly people, I'm trying to build something and there's yeah. someone else yeah. trying to mess it up, digging out the floor from under me and yeah. doing all these kinds of things, right? Yeah. So, but it's a good, in a fun way. Yeah, so. I mean, people are having fun with it, you know. And we, we have persistent worlds today, right. where you have, you have access control who can edit. Right, right. And that, of course, becomes very good. People build like Mario levels or engagements. And we have the thing that is still the thing that makes it unique is live editing. Right. Yeah. Which means that people are having live engagements. So people are playing tech, right? Yeah. Where, where the goal is you have an administrator. So, so, um, for the listeners who don't know, Everybody Edits, it's a real-time platform game yep. with a real-time editable tile-based level system. Yeah. Now, do you have to run the whole simulation on the server to get that to work? I must admit I do not. You don't? I okay. don't. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm in the camp that, you know, that level of security is not needed for the type of property I built. Right. There are sanity checks on the server, so if you do something that is completely out of... of a sane environment, yeah. you will get blocked or kicked or whatever, yeah. but I must admit I didn't do it. Again, it's, it's worth mentioning that that game was grown, right. it was not designed, yeah, yeah. which means that it has a lot of stupid design decisions. Right. Yeah. So what, when, uh, if someone creates, say, say, say some two people try and add a different tile in the same place at the same time, no, but how, it's, uh, how do you resolve that? Well, first of all, there's not, no such thing as the same time. One event will arrive before the other one, so it sure. will just switch really, really quickly. So the person, oh, I see. Yeah. So the person would see their own one go down, but yeah. they see theirs go down on their screen instantly. Yeah. But really, the server doesn't, ha won't acknowledge whether it's there or not. For no, but it, 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 it's TCP/IP, which means that there's a synchronization order, yeah. which means one event will happen before before the other one. Yeah, and people will get events out in the in the correct order. Yeah, so you would. If, if two people replace the brick at the yeah. exact same time, yeah. one of them would take precedence, yeah. and the person who placed the brick that got overwritten would, would think about yeah. happened. And do you send, do you send the whole state of the whole map in updates, or do you just send changes? No, no, I just change. I send a, a I, I wrote a small binary encoding for the map, which is sent out when you load the first level, and yeah. from there it's just. The I learned some stuff actually when I was reading because you guys also create a site called Nova, yeah, which was a, uh, a, a flash portal that yeah. let you make multi-user games. That's where some and I learned a load of things from your tutorials about, yeah, for example, things like, you know, how to pack, to pack like two small numbers into one big number yeah. and things like this. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of tricks of the trade. Yeah, right? and yeah. you know, well, there's things like you can pack, uh, what is it, like eight booleans into a byte or something yeah, yeah. if you like if using you want byte arrays. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so if you, so do you do that thing where you use the like the order of bytes? To, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. I, I instead of having variable names, yeah, you yeah, have, yeah. you read the, you write them in the bytes in a certain order. If you read them back in the same order, you can restructure it into something meaningful. Yeah, I actually wrote something that's a little bit closer to uh, to a real compression when it comes to the levels. Right. So if you actually go look at the format, how it's structured, if you go to try to decompile it you would get you know, a type of brick, and then you would get a list of coordinates encoded optimally. And what that allows me to do is, a, for a section, I can send out, this is the most common brick. It's the default, it will fill it, plot fill it with that brick. Right. 
and there's just modifications on top of that. Oh, cool. But there's a lot of there's a lot of compression in there too. Wow. So the, 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 the format, especially if you have a lot of areas that contain the same element, yeah, becomes very compact. Yeah, yeah. I could have I could have one thing I I, I could have done which I have not done is I could have put a compression algorithm on top of it. Yeah. Could you yeah. not have just write the level into say a PNG? No. Yeah. You could. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's definitely a way to do it. But we have. One thing we have, we have bricks with modifiers on it. So we have, we have a, uh, we, we have say a coin gate. You have to collect a certain amount of coins to actually open a gate. Yeah. And at that point, it, it stopped becoming feasible to have it represented that because you have to have both the, the value of the amount of coins you have, yeah. which is user settable, yeah, and and the gate thing. So you couldn't represent it as an image anymore. Like we have text bricks. Right? You, you could. You, in, you, it's, it would be possible to do it though, because within each color value, you've got. Like, oh yeah, okay, but then we have, text, have we have text bricks, 16 right? million possible yeah, values. Yeah, yeah, but we have text bricks. Okay, so we have a that? brick. It's a brick. Uh, it's it, we actually only use it for internal. It's not open page, right? But it allows you to put, put a, a, a set of text on the screen right. inside your brick, right? So right. you can you can have you can have a, 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 a small novel represented in the right, right. It wouldn't, okay. wouldn't fly in an image compression, but it's not a bad idea. Yeah, because a lot of people have done a lot of work to make that format optimally for you. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, definitely you can do that, right? Yeah. But a lot of the time with this type of property, you're better off actually trying to design your own encoding. Sure. If you know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of state is the code base in at the moment for everybody editing? It's a lot better than it used to be. And they, they, we, currently we're handing it over to a consultancy agency. Right. Oh, not a consultant, but a studio. We're right. going to take it on and make it a real product. Right. So far it's been my pet product. Right. And the last two months, um, my user has suffered. Yeah. Because I am busy doing other stuff. <laughs> All kinds of stuff, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm getting hate mail. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because I haven't updated in two months. That's the last just gap in development. It's funny that the... With a certain type of game, you're you're expected to add content and yeah. add updates and no, new it's, features. It, it, it's also very much about the fact that up until today, it's it, it's been the base that there was a lot of updates. So far, I think the biggest development gap for this has been a month. Right. So it's 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 out of the ordinary. You've created an expectation. Yeah, I created an expectation. Right. And we're going to get back to that expectation. Yeah. And, and it's a it. it's a free game to be fair. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, it has microtransactions, right? right? A lot of the users have actually paid a fair amount of money on it. Right. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. With and, the, and is it, uh, are we talking thousands of lines of code, tens of thousands, or more than 100,000? I think we are below tens of thousands, but not by much. Right. So, so yeah. you're in the tens, in the yeah. high tens of thousands. But that's, that's a lot of stuff in there. It's a custom render engine. Yeah. It's a, it's custom multiplayer. It's custom backend. Yeah. So there's a lot of code in that. It's a fairly complex game these days. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of UI and stuff. Yeah. So it naturally grows. Yeah. I've spoken to lots of developers today about just ask them, you know, what you know, what what, what states your code base in, like yeah. how many lines. And the size of flash games now, yeah. the hundred thousand lines of code is, is not unusual. No, no. And only five or five to ten years ago, a thousand lines of code for a flash game would have been considered it's, a reasonable it's, amount. It's a natural progression, right? The, the market matures. And you get people with real computer science education actually moving into the they're market. Good at, they're good at making more, writing yes. more code to do yeah. the same thing. Yeah, but Flash used to be this thing that we use for micro games. Yeah. Today is a publishing platform as anything else. Yeah. So you get games that are equally complex. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Oh, well, thanks very much for joining us, no Chris. No problem. And, Thank uh, you. Cheers. Yeah. Well, that was great. There were loads of people. I know. It's probably about, well, I reckon there was one in the first interview, then two, so that's three. And then in the last one, there was another four, so it's like oh, seven. Or was there five crazy. in the last one? I think five in the last one, so eight. 
It's like you've done no interviews and then <laughs> then a whole load of them come out. It was just row. so easy though because in the like little mixer after the after the conference, everyone was just there. Yeah. So it's just like, well, I can just go and talk to people. Were they just coming up to you to see what the hell you were doing? Once, once like me and Ryan got going, yeah, everyone was just yeah. coming up because they were like, yeah. There's a lot of background noise there, unfortunately. A little so, bit, yeah. What but was you going get, on there? Well, it's just a huge. It was just a huge like mixer party thing. So. You know, in a big atrium, so or a big, you know, like a lobby foyer thing. So, so I thought you you were quite mean to the caban guy. Is it caban? Caban. 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 Like caban. Is it? How's that spelt? K a b a m. I think. K a b a m. Yeah, like caban. Oh yes, yes, I found them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> were we mean to him only sportingly? Yeah. You know, I we mean, acknowledge it... the good things that they do, like, for example, having a good developer culture and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just but, the... I mean, it was clearly, like, the guy was clearly, like, a sales guy, wasn't he? No, he was, like, no? a, um, I think they were mostly there for, for, like, recruitment and that kind of thing. Yeah. So he was there, he was, like, a team leader for programmers. Sure. But obviously he's, like, part of the management of the company or whatever, so... He was definitely on a little bit of a sales mission, I thought. (laughs) I don't think so. It's just, you know, we, like, challenged him and said about the business models, you know, that that social games operate on, and he had good answers to all that, so... But, no, I I don't know... I was just being a journalist. Yeah, no, I think that you were right to challenge those, you know. And and his argument that it's like, would you rather pay $30 for an Xbox game or $30 on a casual game? It's like, well... That just doesn't really. Well, first, there's two things. Like the main thing that's wrong with that is that there is clearly some. Uh, what's what's the word? Um, I think that some some of these games do take advantage of gullible people, right? Right. Because if if a game, if you can spend like four grand on micropayments, then that's really stupid, right? Yeah, there's it no... shouldn't be possible. I don't think. Yeah. I think like I'm planning. I've got a kind of game design for a game with micropayments. And my kind of idea is the one that I posit in the show, which is that we pick an arbitrary amount of money. Yeah. Say, like, the most you would spend on a console game, say, like, $60 or whatever, £40, and just say, beyond that point, you've unlocked everything. You've got it. You've got it, it. yeah. You can't spend any more money because it's like... The thing is, it's it's easier to monetize... Once you've monetized someone, sorry to use the horrible industry term... It's a horrible term. Once you've converted them is another... (laughs) Yeah. Once you've done that, it's easier to get more money out of that person than to make a new conversion. Yeah. So it's easier to get like five hundred dollars out of one person than it is to get fifty dollars out of ten people, it's which seems counterintuitive. But unfortunately, that's just the way that it is. Yeah. But, well, so I, w- if I would you, be able to sleep at night if that was my business. I mean, you're model. turning down money, aren't you? And once you get to say like a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars, that starts with the kind of money that could seriously affect someone's life, like their ability to pay their bills and so on. Yeah, yeah. And so and also what was that little um that little meandering you had into the Game of Thrones? That was <laughs> right. oh, extra yeah. geek points for that yeah, one. Yeah, I think we would just love Game of Thrones. Haven't we talked about Game of Thrones before on I don't, the show? I don't think well I've I only just saw the first episode the other day. Oh really? I, I didn't really get it. What's well, not to get? Well, it's just. Well, I saw Jeremy Keith tweet something about it. Something that he overheard. He overheard someone describing Game of Thrones as the sex hobbit, <laughs> 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 and that's um, that's what it seemed like to me. I didn't really get it. It seemed like some sort of you know male geeks little fantasy world. Um, it's got lots of female fans. Yeah. Okay. Good. It's not a particularly like a male thing. It's got lots no. of like. It's not an exploitative story at all. It's not about like 
you know, helpless women and muscly men. Okay, well, maybe maybe I need to give it a, a bit longer. Did you get into it straight away, or did it take a couple of episodes? We were talking about the books, of course, not the TV show. Oh, the books. Yeah, I mean, oh. the TV show's fine, but for me, it's the main event is the books more. But I love the TV show, but I, I know the whole story and everything anyway, so it's like I was going to watch that whatever. <laughs> sure. So the other thing was... But apparently, old... no, but apparently the TV show does take a couple of episodes to get into. Yeah, So sure. Like The Wire, like I wa- I've watched The Wire, I tried to watch The Wire twice before, never got into it, yeah. and then I gave it like four episodes. And it's like, yeah, you I'm have to. Now. Yeah, totally. I love it's it. Like, I mean, it's just because it's totally, um, unpat- it's like non-patronising, and, and so they don't really explain stuff for you. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's not like most TV, we get kind of spoon-fed a bit, and also I think <laughs> that there's a certain amount of like... Um, I mean, there was a lot of colloquial slang and stuff that took a while to tune into, right? Well, that's um, not really what me. turned me off it, though. No? For me, it was sort of, it seemed like I was watching Shakespeare, you know, where I don't, you sort of understand the language, but oh, it takes really? a little while to tune into it. No, I mean, I'm down with the kids, so like... Oh, you obviously much better at street slang than me. Yeah, <laughs> it was more like, I just thought, oh, can I, how are you supposed to, who, which of these characters are you supposed to, like, sympathise with and stuff? Yeah. But then the more you get into it, the more you, the, you do see which are the sympathetic characters, like, on each side and which are the jerks. Yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, it sort of ruins you for other TV, though, I think. I wouldn't say it's it's so much better than, for example, um, The Sopranos or um, Boardwalk Empire. See, Boardwalk Empire is is something else. That's an amazing show. Yeah, oh, it's so good. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's 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 up there with The Wire, and it's you know it's really good. I'll I'll add it into my list of things to watch. But we shouldn't be talking about TV, should we? (laughs) (laughs) No. Well, so let's go back to your interviews. Though there was there was some guys there at the beginning who were explaining that they really didn't want to, as they put it, go back to JavaScript. Mm. And you hear that quite a lot, don't you, from Flash people? Yeah. But then you see, for me, I think with hacks, it's like hacks or hacks, hacks or hex or hacks, or however you want to say it. Yeah. Um, X. I think the best way to say it is try and say axe in a French accent or try and yeah. say hacks in a French accent. Hex. Yeah, it's just X. axe, isn't Hex. it? Like, oh, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> With, um, so you think if, you're, if that's the problem... Um, I, th- I think that, you know, it's sep- what, what that does is it then separates two issues. It separates the platform from the language. Yeah. And once you do that, you see, well, it makes it much less clear. Yeah, we should probably do a show and investigate Axe a bit more because I'm still a bit unclear about the practicalities of actually using it. Maybe we should get Nicholas Canas. We should, we should. I mean, I'm on that on the Hacks mailing list now and I'm yeah. a, a complete convert. Like, okay. I think that what they're doing is exactly right. Okay. All right, um, well, let's get Nicholas on. I should. don't know if he listens to the show I don't or think not. he listens, but he, I think he... He might he, do. Probably doesn't. He's too busy. Yeah. His, his brain, he's too smart to spend time listening to us waffle on. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> nice work, I think, on the interviews. I enjoyed them. They were good. Cool. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, you should not... definitely do more of those. Yeah, well, I've started now, so <laughs> I'll keep at it. I don't always get to meet loads of interesting people, of course. No. So what was that about... Um, you were getting a free one. <laughs> what was that? You were getting oh, a, f- a free sorry. one. Sorry. Is that, is that just... like we're married or something? 
Is this that, what's was the, that was the skit. That was the point <laughs> of the skit, right? Ryan started it. I want that to make that clear. We're, we're like the odd couple now. Apparently, that, Ryan that's... has a background in like improvisational theatre, and like that's why he's so bonkers and like. Yeah, it doesn't it tr- doesn't quite surprise. Was it nice to meet him in person? Oh yeah, he's such a dude. He's a, such a lovely guy and hilarious. Absolutely, he seemed hilarious. quite exhausting. His, his talk was so funny though. It was genius. And it's, yeah. does he ever like relax? Is he ever like no not on like that? He's on all the time. Is that what he's like all the <laughs> yes. time? Yes. <laughs> Just be like. <laughs> yeah, totally. I just feel like Ryan, just be normal. Talk to me. <laughs> no, I don't think he. I don't think he That's has it. that mode. You'll That's notice just... that he just at one stage he just disappears from the interview. Right. Yeah. Because he well, just what went he off to just run, like <laughs> go off at someone else about stuff. So I, I, I kept hearing cans being opened. Was, who was that? It was a party. I mean, there was yeah. lots of cans around and stuff. Mostly sodas, I have to say. And in general, it was not as boozy as a British conference. Sure. The British conferences I've been to, people get hammered in the evenings, like properly, properly drunk. And then whenever I heard a can opening, I just imagined it was Ryan opening another Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I interpreted that. Is that probably not what was happening? No, but close, <laughs> close. We'd all had a lot of coffee, I think, that day. Oh, I see. That's and I think everyone good. was just pretty pumped up just because it was like, you know, you suddenly meet all these people that you know from Twitter, and yeah. there's people there from like, who can actually help you with your business that you've been trying to do for the last year or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I even had some interest in, like, Alice and stuff, which is cool, because I don't know what I'm doing with that, but... I don't know. It's cleared up... A, going has cleared up a lot of things in my mind. Like, the thing about it taking a bit of time to really do something properly... Yeah. Um, I think is really important. Yeah, sure. Um, like, f- I was just thinking about, like, Fez. You know, Fez... Have you seen anything about this game? No. Oh, actually, it rings a bell. You've like, been talked about for ages. Yes, it's like you're a pixelated guy and it's a pixel graphics game, but then you can rotate the whole world and it's all like in 3D. Yeah. Right? That so does ring a bell. It's been in production since I think 2007. Mm. It's an indie game. Yeah, it's an indie game, but um, it's quite a large scale one. And it's been in, I think the idea has been kicking about since 2006. Or anyway, mm. I, mean, I think it won something in 2007. So it's like five years, right? And I was thinking yeah. about like what, what was I doing when I first saw like the first Fez video. And I literally think that like, well, I was definitely working a block. I think I was working with someone that I, you know, haven't worked with obviously in like five or six years. And I was like writing Action Script 2 code. And it just seems like a world away. Like it seems like a career ago to me that's too long isn't it that's too long but for this guy it's like been that's all he's worked on mind you i think minecraft was like five years or something wasn't it yeah i'm not really sure about this the story of minecraft i know there's a documentary being made about that as well because fez is one of the games in indie game the movie yeah sure i haven't seen that did you No, no one's seen it yet no it was in san francisco when i was there but it didn't line up with times when i could go Okay, I guess we'd better start wrapping it up because it's a bit of an epic this one, is isn't it? It's going to be epic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's been some really cool things this week. I, I went on Remy Sharp's Node.js workshop ah, last cool. week, which was really interesting. I should probably talk about that a bit more later. Um, just because I sort of realised what it actually was rather than what I thought it was. You sure. Know? That's and fine. we'll save it for next time. Yeah. Uh, that would be cool. And also, I'm really proud because one of my Sussex Downs students, uh, Sussex Downs College, um, they. He won a competition, right? Open processing run, uh, and it was like there's this bus tops project, 
Right. I don't know if you've seen it in London. They've got, I think, like 60 bus stops have on their roofs, like a, a right, red yeah, yeah. LED matrix. Right. And there was a competition on open processing to come up with a sketch to put on these bus stops. And one of my students won based Rad. on some of my code. So that was really cool. A really simple code as well. It's like 20 lines or something. So super proud. That's Sam Scaife. Cool. Give him a name check. Well done, Sam. Yeah. Did I tell you about one of my students who made a working clone of Twitter? No. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. That's amazing. It's, yeah. It's so, so was way beyond anything I thought anyone would do. Yeah. It had everything and it even improved on Twitter in some ways as well because it had proper comments and stuff. Very cool. <laughs> it's nice, isn't it, when you see stuff like that happening? It's hard to teach someone who's already at that level. Well, all you can really do is just kind of facilitate their their rocket rocketing up yeah <laughs> talent levels yeah you just gotta be there you do you can't really teach anything you have to give advice and let's wrap it up um yeah cool thanks for listening everyone we'll see you next time see you soon bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs> <That's weird. laughs>